All right, welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. For anybody that cares, we're gonna pretend like we have uh, like like we had another week, but realistically, it was like five minutes. I think we took each took a break to uh, get something to drink, and uh, we're back firing it up with uh, with Matt Seifert from Musky Mercenary Guide Service, Brad Hoppy, Musky Mayhem Tackle, and I'm Jeff with Team Rhino Outdoors. So if you uh, need any gear or guide trips, check out Team Rhino Outdoors, Muskie Mercenary Guide Service, or Muskie Mayhem Tackle. So guys, I guess this is going to save our listeners, you know, some pain of, uh, you know, an intro. We don't need to pretend like we haven't seen each other for a couple weeks or last week or whatever. I nothing, nothing's really happened in my world since uh, five minutes ago when I got done talking to you recording last week's episode. <laughs> yeah. I think we'll just get right down to the nitty gritty and we're going to start talking about fishing, Jeff. Here's a little, a little BS though, Brad, this is starting to feel a lot like podcast season now. I mean, things are really firing up. It's, uh, I don't know what time is it? 11:22 PM on uh, a Friday night, you know, nonetheless in, uh, so this, this feels like old school podcasting. I think episodes, I don't know, maybe like six or seven of our, of our podcast, this is how this was done. Like midnight, finishing up an episode at one thirty in the morning, getting up at six go to go to work. So this is going to be right there. Cause you guys, uh, sounds like you got to get up and go do a little work tomorrow morning anyways. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the beauty of it ultimately, Jeff, I mean, this is musky world, right? I mean, we're in the musky world right now. We're going to be uh, talking for the next hour, hour and a half, whatever it is. This is our life. I mean, this is how Matt and I live. Yeah, tomorrow morning we are going to be rigging a boat. Actually, Dick Pearson's coming over to see us, and Matt and I will be spending some time putting some units in his boat. He's got a new boat as well as a trolling motor. So, you know, he's going to mount two birds in the boat. He's looking for some advice, and Matt's the guy. It's Dick Pearson, though. Like, when I first started muskie fishing, I went to Gander Mountain and bought every muskie video I could ever buy. And Dick Pearson's Muskies on the Shield is my favorite video. So I'm going to be a little starstruck tomorrow, maybe. I feel like I'm a decent muskie fisherman and made my way in this world. But that guy is a legend, and I'm super pumped to rig his boat. I'm super pumped to pick his brain a little bit. I'll be able I like. I feel like a little kid. I'm kind of nervous. That's what I was going to ask you. No, <laughs> I'm going to rig a boat, no problem. But it's Dick Pearson's boat. It better be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you if you were a little nervous about this. Yeah, I mean that he's a hero of mine. So, I mean that was the one guy. I watched all the other videos. It was cool. Like I love the fisherman videos too. Uh, they did such a great job explaining everything, and that it was very educational. And then you watch Dick, and you're like. It had the action and the education. You were kind of blown away a bit. So then I went out and bought the book the next day, of course. And then, yeah, it was such a great video. I thought he was so cool. I mean, I always thought, well, I, I, you know, Canada's so far away. I'm only, I'm not, you know, whatever. I'm not going up there. But I, it was such a cool. And now I fish, you know, Vermilion all the time to Shield Lake and use a lot of his tactics. It's, it's a cool thing. I kind of come full circle and musky fishing. To all these little guys out there that like the musky fish, that was me. And now I'm rigging Dick Pearson's boat. I, I you know it might not mean much to you, but it means a lot to me. I think it's pretty cool. So, so I'm a little bit nervous and but excited at the same time. Can't wait to meet him. I've actually never met him in person, so I'm I'm very excited. 
there's some young kid out there right now that's listening that's going to be thinking the same thing when he's rigging Brad Hoppy's boat. He's going to be like, oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wow. I don't know. Brad's pretty handy. I don't know if that'll ever happen. (laughs) You just threw me totally off my game right there. (laughs) That I'll be a, silent now, and we'll let my, Matt kind of take over the podcast. No, and, uh, but he might have to tell Brad how to work his new iPhone. <laughs> well, might some kid that might have to help Brad do an update on his hummingbird. I can guarantee you that. That is true. <laughs> oh, wow. All right, Brad. Sorry, I, I interrupted you. They're not going to teach Brad how to change a tire or anything, or start his motor, or change his oil. They ain't going to teach Brad how to do that. So the young kid's going to be thinking, oh, I can't wait to get over to Brad Hoppy's. I'll show him how to work this these new electronics because that's how it's going to be instead of putting it on, I guess. In this case, you get to put Dick's, you know, mount all the Dick's units and walk it through them. And he was a legend to you. And out there, there's some kid that's that Brad's a legend to them. And, and he's going to be excited to go meet Brad one day. Yep, absolutely. You guys are funny. But, you know, ultimately, I got Matt. He's quite a bit younger than me, so I can just use him, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so. No, it's, it's, a, it's a cool thing, I think, in musky fishing. I mean, all those guys I looked up to, I fished hard, and I got to meet them all. And I'm friends with most of them now. It's really cool. Yeah. A few of them I'm not friends with. <laughs> you, know, you meet and you're like oh they're not so cool but most of those guys that i mean the the guys i would you know dick pearson's i'm really excited about that tomorrow he was one of the guys i mean i read a lot of things for a lot of years everything i could get my hands on and we didn't have youtube i mean i was you had to read and i read everything and i mean there's some guys i'm not going to say any names but you watch their show and you're like, I think I just got dumber. Uh, and other guys you watch the show and I think I just got smarter. I know I got smarter. You you were excited. And the other ones you were like, wow, I can't believe I watched that. But you had to watch it because it was musky fishing. So it's so funny. It's, the muskies, it's still, I still feel like that today. You watch some of these YouTube shows and you're like, are you serious? This is on TV? I, this is horrible. And then just stumble on some random one. You learn something from it's something so interesting, just like guiding. You have some clients that don't know anything and they'll say, well, musky seem to be like this. And you're like, holy cow, you're right. They are like, this. you can learn something from everybody. But I really respect the guys that did that kind of stuff. Wrote the book, taught guys like me when there was no YouTube. I mean, there was no YouTube and Back in the, I mean, when I read Musky Hunter, I wasn't that impressed, to be honest with you. I, I read In Fisherman Magazine. I don't know if I should say this on the podcast, but I read In Fisherman Magazine and I learned stuff. And I read In Fisherman and I got, or uh, read Musky Hunter and I got dumber. So I didn't enjoy it. And then the Esox Angler came out and I was blown away. I learned stuff and I started catching fish when Esox Angler came out. So when that magazine shut down, that was a real bummer for me because that was my number one source of info was Esox Angler. Which Dick was involved in. Oh, was he? I didn't even know that. Yeah. All I know is it was amazing. Yeah. Uh, I know Jack Burns. Yeah. I mean, he didn't he? Good friend of Dick. Okay. Yep. yep. I Jack, never, Jack I, Burns was a great guy. Yeah, I never met yeah, any of those guys. I just, I read the magazine and I learned things. And I put it to use and actually caught fish. In the other magazines I read, I didn't catch anything. I actually hurt my fishing horribly. I also didn't know 
as well. I think part of the reason, to be perfectly honest, part of the reason was East Octango had a lot of Minnesota guys writing for them. And Muskie Hunter had a lot of Wisconsin guys. And I fished for Minnesota. And those fish do not act the same during, you know, hot or cold fronts, especially when it's really hot. They have def- definitely different characters. I say when it's steady weather and they're, they're fairly similar, but when you're very engrossed in the idiosyncrasies, there's a big difference between the two fish. So that was part of my problem. But anyways, I guess I really respect those guys that did all that. That's a big thing to me. My dream, just to let you know, Jeff, is to do a podcast with Al Linder. And I want to ask him questions. That's my dream. Number one dream come true. If you get Al Linder on this podcast, and I want to ask him some questions. Well, I really, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much Brad talks to you about this, but it's, it's something we're trying to get done, right, Brad? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been in touch with Al, and I do believe that it'll happen. It's just a matter of time, and the timing has to be right. But one thing I'd like to say, you know, before we switch gears here and we kind of move on, but you know, to to Matt credit and to what's kind of going on in this world. I mean, the musky world is small and it's truly, truly amazing how many of these people we get to talk to on a daily basis. And I, I feel super fortunate that I've had the opportunities to talk to a ton of these different individuals. And when I say it's small, (laughs) it's ultimately truly, truly small. I don't know how else to say it we all kind of unite and we're, we are provided the opportunity to actually talk to so many people that are so incredible in this industry. And so, you know, it'll be really cool tomorrow. Um, Matt and I get to, like, like you said, we get to rig Dick Pearson's boat and we'll pick his brain and we'll be able to talk muskies. And <laughs> there's so much to be said about that. You know, Matt, you know, just so you know, you're not alone. I was, uh, I was a little nervous when we got to talk to Dick the first time. It's, uh, <laughs> I mean, I remember, I remember watching, watching his videos and, and reading the books. And I mean, I think I got the, uh, muskies on the shield book. That's all highlighted up and everything like that. And so I was, I'm in the, I'm in the same boat. I've, uh, I've always been a big fan of him since, you know, basically since I started, not only him, I mean, I mean, heck I've. I've been a fan of a lot of the guys that we get to interview now. It's it's pretty cool that, that we get to do that. Oh, absolutely. I agree with that. It's such a small world, like Brad said. It's, you go from their greatest heroes. I mean, well, you know, I mean, it was the same thing. I used to snowboard, and it was I turned pro, and I met the guys that I worshipped, you know, the, the whole time. And half of them were losers once I got to meet them. But in monkey fishing, it's not like that you meet these guys and you're like, wow, they're really cool, you know, and they have the same passion you have, but it's more peers. Like with snowboarding, it was so much different. You have all these that were in it for the money or this, there's no money in musky fishing. So it just is what it is. It's a, it's a mediocre, it's not bass fishing. Let's put it that way. Right. Nobody's going to be a millionaire in the musky industry. So let's put it in perspective. I mean, these guys you meet, they're as passionate as you are. I mean, some of them are so passionate they go over the deep end and they're, they're nobody you won't even want to respect. But the majority of them are just amazing people. And, it, and it's so fun to talk to them all and hear all the different stories. And, and the cool part is once you meet them all and you realize that you grow in monkey fishing, 
that a lot of these people that you worship don't fish fish that you fish. You know, they fish in Canada or they fish in Wisconsin or they fish in Washington state for tiger muskies or they fish in Tennessee or Virginia. And, but they all have the same passion that these fish are hard to catch no matter where they are. And it's the passion is what I think really drives everybody together. And it makes such a cool sport. So, yeah. But I think the innovators are the ones that I, if, if you, I'm a big guy on respect. I don't know if anybody cares, but that's just kind of how I feel. So I really respect the innovators, the guys that went above and beyond and really helped other people learn. Cause I truly believe in that. That's, why I'm a guide. Uh, otherwise I'd fish tournaments every day, but I, I like to teach people stuff. That's what makes me happy. And that's the cool thing about musky fishing. You can never learn. And that's why I always tell everybody, if you think you know what you're doing, musky fishing, you're wrong. <laughs> Cause I thought every year I thought I was, man, I was like, well, I was talking about 2012. After that year, I thought I was the best musky fisherman on the planet. And then the next year I felt like I was the worst. <laughs> you can't, the humility is a huge part of this game, but, you can learn from everything. You can learn from being pompous. You can learn from being dumb. You can learn from other guys, especially other guys, elderly guys, guys that have been through it all. They've been doing it for, you know, you think, ah, man, I've been doing it for 15 years. Well, somebody else has been doing it for 60 years every day. Look at Dick Pearson. Look at, uh, Doug Johnson. Doug Johnson. Yeah. Especially. Yeah. Um, another one that Al Anderson comment I made, I know we should get to fishing here, but, I'm just infatuated with how he brought in the electronic side of things, which I, we need to talk about. It needs to be put on air. I don't know if it ever has the story of him and his brother bringing in the first flasher to fishing. They were the first guys that ever used a flasher fishing. A flasher was invented by Carl Lorenz, who found logs in Lake Michigan, uh, sunken uh, ironwood trees from the loggers when they logged all the ironwoods off the Great Lakes. And he would salvage these trees and he invented the flasher and Ron and Al literally brought it into the fishing industry there and they kept it up. They never stopped. And they had the, they were the guys that had the, you know, the idea for side imaging. They wanted to see on the sides of their boat. I mean, what a great story that is that we should. Yeah. Anyway. So that's, yeah, very cool. I'm excited for tomorrow. I'm excited to meet Dick very innovative, very educational and helped a lot of people. I think every guy that's ever fished Lake of the Woods that's over 30 knows what Dick Pearson taught, which is really cool or any field lake for that matter. So yeah, super excited for tomorrow, but I'm excited to go musky fishing this year too. I think the bottom line here, Jeff, you know, what Matt's talking about is musky fishermen are unique. That uniqueness, it really presents a different picture than probably any other sport in fishing. Honestly, I mean, musky fishermen are unique. I think I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, we're uh, bonded by a common bond over the struggle of trying to catch these stupid fish on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> That's the best way to put it. Ain't that the truth? I mean, I mean, I, it ultimately comes down to no matter how good you are, you still struggle. Like Matt said, they're they're gonna. They're going to humble you at some point. Oh, yeah. More often than not. That's what I was just going to say. More often, like sometimes they're going to humble you more often than not. Exactly. I mean, that's just how yeah. it is. You can be on a three day bite where you're just like, man, this is easy, blah, 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 blah. And guess what? 
the fourth day, they're going to spank you like none other. And you're going to go, what happened? You know, why? Um, that's the beauty of it. And, and that's what all of us strive for. And that's what yeah. it pushes you. And if you're that unique individual that I'm talking about, you don't give up. You just keep fighting. That's the key component. I mean, honestly, I don't care who you are or what you are. If you're a musky angler, guess what? You're a guy that's got determination and uh, it's commitment. You know, I mean, let's go to the Oakland Raiders, right? Commitment to excellence. And that's what we're all <laughs> fighting for, right? I mean, you want to, to exceed. And sometimes that exceeding takes three days. <laughs> yeah. Know? It might take three weeks, but, you know, that, that's the bottom line to this whole sport. Yeah, and the perseverance thing's key. I mean, you can, like Brad said, you catch them for three days, and the fourth day they spank you. Well, what could be worse? The fourth day was the best day, and all your buddies caught them, but you didn't. I mean, there's days you don't make the right decisions. That's what. That's the crazy thing about musk. It's still fishing, because I shouldn't say a crazy thing about musk. That's a crazy thing about fishing. You could be fishing perch, and that fourth day, you don't make the right decisions. And you fall apart, and the guys had everyone else had the best day of their life, and you didn't catch one. So there's that perseverance thing and that drive to catch a monkey. That what did I make the wrong decisions? It's just, and it still happens to me every. It happens to me. I, yearly. I should say, well, once a week, damn near. I mean, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I mean let's be honest. I'm not gonna say once a year. Come on, I, I make bad decisions. I mean, it's funny we have these big groups come up here and guide. Uh, especially at Brad's here, we have with some Swedes come in here and um, some couple, few big groups on Vermilion as well. And we have some of the best guides in the state all working together. We got five, six of us all working together every day. And we're all catching everything doing good. Well, and that one guy just does it. I mean, it's like the best day and you don't catch one. You're like, ah, uh, what happened? <laughs> and then you're doubting yourself. You're like, wait, my guys just caught nine the last three days my clients got nine and i caught three we got 12 fish the last three days and two of them were over 50 and you're and you can't sleep because you didn't catch one that day i mean it's just it'll drive you crazy but i guess that's what dr brings us together and the, the perseverance of musky fishermen is it's an amazing thing for sure but yeah let's talk about uh this year how about that how about that let's do that let's talk about this year and um uh, open water trolling what, what topics you guys want to touch on? I guess that's up to you guys, but we can talk trolling for sure. Yeah, I think, you know, the trolling aspect has really grown in this world of muskies, especially in the spring. So we'll, we'll talk about the beginning of the muskie season and how it transitions into what Matt and I spend a ton of time doing, and that's open water trolling. Um, and it's not necessarily just open water. There's a time and a place for that. Maybe we can shift gears into that. I think the opening musky fishing is one of the toughest fights. So it's beat to death on every magazine and book and podcast there is out there. So let's not talk about that because <laughs> everybody throws little baits and switches them in shallow baits. It's super simple. You just do that and you hope to catch a male. Okay, you want to catch a big female? Let's go into the open water. You might have to wait a week or two, but that's what we're going for. And I mean, sometimes I don't even, I won't even fish a weedy bay knowing I might have a chance at one big giant female might have a chance on opening day when it's a cold year. But this year I think is what people will really want to 
here at the most because it's so warm. If it stays warm, let's keep that in mind. Everybody keep that in mind. If it gets cold, real cold in May, then it's not going to be, it'll be right back. We're going to go right back two weeks behind the, the two and a half weeks we're ahead right now. So if this keeps up, we'll be three weeks ahead by opener. So let's all keep that in mind. If that puts us right at the best open water bite of the year on opening weekend. So let's all pray that happens. If not adjust from there, but well, we can talk about water temps. I like Bob Benson's line that water temps don't matter. The only thing that matters is where the muskies are and what the calendar year is. Um, I have found that true in a lot of places, especially Vermilion. You can't catch a fish on the rocks till J- July 1st. And that year I was talking about 2012, last episode, when we were catching all those fish, we were catching fish, open water trolling, opening day. Still never caught a fish on the rocks till July 1st. And those were males. And the big girls showed up July 7th to 12th, which they normally always do. So um, calendar year is important, but there's an opportunity to catch giant females on opening day this year if it stays warm. And if not, that first or second week, and you guys fish south, so you have it opening day for sure. I'm talking about us in central Minnesota to northern Minnesota. Sorry, got off a little track there, but let's go to... I don't even know where I was going with this whole story, but the time frame. I mean, you're you're talking about if the season progresses with a warm spring, what that that uh, progression really means. Yeah, and looking for those fish in the open water. So, what I was going to say, yeah, I was going water temps, and I was going to ask Brad what his was. I already know what it is, though. But Borowski, Luke Ronstrand, and me network on Vermilion a bunch. And we kind of all agree that that 60 to 62 degree mark, uh, that's when the mayflies start popping, which brings the Cisco's to the surface, which creates the greatest, uh, creates the good open water bite. But on those warm springs, we get those times where the fish will show up in the open water because of water temps, even though these mayflies things is the craziest part. We could go do another podcast on bugs. Um, but the bugs, drives the, the real open water bite but these females they want to eat big baits they've gone through the most stress on the spawn so they will immediately go to where the biggest bait fish are so i don't care where you're from i think the best advice i could give you for that beginning opening season part is the biggest bait fish the biggest softest oilest bait fish you can find at over 60 degree water temp 58 degree water temp or calendar year of whenever whatever your fish get done spawning find those big oily bait fish and if your lakes have none i mean in the twin cities we catch them over suspended bluegill schools i mean it, it all depends where you're at and i don't know southern wisconsin you do jeff you fish down there i don't um i don't know what kind of bait fish you guys have i don't know if you have suckers but those females need that food they've put so much energy into laying those eggs um, and doing their thing that's what drives me so when i go out to a lake I'm looking for that. So I have it fairly easy, I kind of believe, because I don't have shad. I don't have, I have shad in the Sinker River. I start there in May. We catch them trolling. Um, but that's a very finicky game where the shad come into the shallows for only an hour a day, and we catch them in 12 feet of water trolling in channels. But in the middle of the day, if the shad aren't up, we don't catch anything. But on these lakes, these Cisco's will, they do a little bit shallower movements towards um, morning and sundown when the mayflies come up. 
But the main point, I guess, of this whole thing is if those mayflies are hatching or any bugs, it could be fish flies, whatever, but that's what you need to find is those bugs because that's where the oily bait fish are going to eat those bugs. And the, the female muskies know that that's where they're going to be. So what was it, Brad, two years ago when those, all the bugs were shallow, the only bugs that hatched were shallow. I, I, even last year. Honestly, yeah, last year, last too, year was, was, was weird. I mean, normally my open water bite is in deep, deep water. And last year, it really became a mud to sand transition where it was, say, 30 feet, where normally I'm in 80. You know, that, that's yeah. the weird part. So every year varies. Yeah, and I'm normally in 48 to 30 feet of water on vermilion um, or leech. And the last few years, I've been in 11 to 17 with the cold snap. But you, And it, this is another thing I don't know if people care about. And I don't even know if we should talk about, but I'll just say it quick. The mayflies, which drives the open water bite where there's a cisco population, is which is which lake I fish. Like I said, I'm, I'm not on shad basin lakes. I'm not on uh, panfish basin lakes or sucker lakes. Some suckers, but mostly Cisco bait. Those those bugs live in the that mud for a uh, mayfly might not hatch for four to eight years. So you might have three years of great fishing in deep water, but then if we have these cold springs like we've had, the only bugs that hatch that might have been sitting there for six years are the bugs in the shallow water because the temperatures are right. They're very finicky, and you know you see these bugs everywhere, and you think, well, there's well, yeah, there is millions of them, but they only spawn in the areas that the water temperature is right. That's a, a big thing to keep in mind. And another thing is, well, we'll tell you where the bugs are before you even get on the lake is the birds. And I know it sounds silly. It's like ocean fishing, but you are fishing open water. So I always think of it, think of it as the ocean. You go out there. If the birds are there, the fish are there. The seagulls and the eagles and the ospreys will be where the bait is. The seagulls will be where the um, mayflies are and the ospreys and the eagles will be where the ciscos are, which is all the same place all the time. I'll be ripping across Vermilion. It's 40-something miles from one end to the other. And I'm just going to go troll another basin, and I'm just about there. I'm about to shut it down, and I look a mile away, and I see a bunch of seagulls up in the air and a couple of eagles, and I'll just keep driving. I've set the rod down, and we catch a fish immediately. So that's the things you need to think about, or that's the things I think about on the lake I fish. I guess getting down to the nitty-gritty of targeting the open-water fish is... Well, well let's, let's hang on here a second. So, I mean... One of the things that Matt said, you know, we're relating to depth of water. And the neat thing is, like, my home water, I'm fishing 100-foot basins. And Matt, where he's fishing on Vermilion, it's 30-foot basins. But the neat thing about it is, is the relation to, I said last year, we were in 30 to 40 feet of water. Well, Matt's fishing a basin that's 30 feet. And he's fishing shallower, say, like... 11. Yeah. 13, 15, whatever it might be. It's amazing to me how these fish relate. And it isn't about the fish. Truly, it isn't about the fish. It's about the the bug hatches. I mean, ultimately... It truly is about the bug. And so each one of these lakes kind of present a different issue. <laughs> In my body's water, I'm looking at 30 to 40 versus that 80 to 100. 
where Matt is now in a 30-foot basin, and he's looking at 10 to 15. So, you know, it, it really varies year to year, and you have to be aware of that, and it's all relative. So to kind of give everybody the listeners... But it's still open water. It's the cool thing. It, it is. It's still it's because open water. of the soft bottom. Correct. I think we should verify that for people. I mean, when I think of open water, I'm thinking of non-structured water, which is a mud bottom. Now, because I kind of consider sand a structure. I've caught fish on sand humps in 20 feet of water in the middle of summer because they're holding on the sand. It might have some sand grass on it, but it's still sand. Now, out west here where Brad is, there's some bugs that hatch out of the sand. Now, I guide on leech here and vermilion so leach is a crazy thing there's sand deposits all over the mud there's so much mud on leach but there's sometimes there's mud deposits in the sand sometimes there's sand deposits in the mud so and leach is a giant bowl so you get out of walker bay and start exploring the big lake and you can find fish hundreds of them in one spot and why what's holding them there it's the bugs and then the on leach are a shallow basin the bugs hatch here one day they hatch there the other day Having a network on leech is almost key. I've had days on leech where I didn't catch anything for two, three days. The next day we caught 11. You just don't know. I mean, it's it's a wild open water bite out there. These other lakes that have distinct structure, you guys just need to look for the mud. The mud is key. Uh, that's where the bugs live. There are lakes with sand that the bugs hatch out of, but you're going to see, you'll notice the difference between 10-foot sand and 30 foot sand too. I mean, out here on Miltona West Battle, you'll see some sand that it has these little divots in it. And I think that's where the bugs live. I mean, I can't, I'm not a scientist and can prove it, but no one can give me a book either that tells me what these bugs are doing. I've been struggling with that the last few years, but. Yeah, that that's something that we should bring up. I mean, literally for the last year, I've been like testing and trying to figure out who we can talk to about lake bugs. There's tons of different references out there about river bugs. And Matt and I have gone back and forth on this because, I mean, ultimately, yeah, we're all musky fishermen. But at the end of the day, if we can relate to where the bugs are coming from, we can tie that back to the bait fish, which then takes us to the muskies. And there's nobody out there that I can find anyway at this point. And maybe, maybe this little podcast here will... Yeah, hopefully will, somebody can tell us. Great. Let's elevate the game. Let's talk <laughs> about bugs. I, I really, truly believe that that's a key component yeah. to the success of us musky fishing. Yeah. And the summer bugs is what really drives you nuts. You, you're fishing a lake, let's say Lake of the Woods, for instance. You got, you're fishing 27 reefs, right? But only two of them are putting out fish. Why is that? That's because the bugs are by those two reefs. And trust me, this is a fact. Those ciscos are by those reefs, and the perch are feeding on it because the bugs are there. They're not biting on that reef because the wind's right. Trust me, they're there because the bugs are there. Every muskie eats because the bugs are by them because that's what brings the bait fish up off the bottom and eating. So now that creates muskie food in their face. That's why they ate your bucktail. That's the reason. It's because of the bugs 100% all the time, all year long. If we had graphs that showed us only bugs, we would catch so many muskies. If we had graphs that could tell us which, where in the lake the bugs were spawning at that time, you would catch, we would destroy it. Everybody would. So that's, that's a fact. If someone can, if there's some biologist out there listening to this podcast that can 
talk to me about bugs for the next two months, I would be really happy about that. So all ears open. Yeah. I mean, that's the bottom line. Yeah. Are you bored yet? Yes. No, we've just been talking about bugs for like two years and we still haven't gotten to the, gotten to the, to the root of this problem. <laughs> all right. Well, now we're going to talk about catching fish. <laughs> finally, I, finally. I, I keep having this like image or this, uh, like, noise in my head of brad wanting to get some bug guy on here and we've been talking about this for i don't know probably since episode <laughs> two <laughs> it's it's kind of weird jeff i i might have found somebody that's really in tune with it but honestly until i interview that person i i don't know it, it's kind of a stretch at this point in my mind because uh, like i said i mean there's a ton of different people out there that can talk about bugs on rivers but when it comes to open basin lakes, there's nobody. It's absent. I mean, there's just nobody out there that truly understands that whole game that I've found anyway. I should reiterate that. I mean, I have not met that person yet. I just find it yeah. funny, Brad, because usually if there's a problem that we uh, that you or I need to go try to track down somebody for this, that, or the other thing, we usually get it done quite a bit faster than this. Absolutely. That's because it's a lost cause at this point, I think. Maybe we just don't want right, to give so, everybody the key to how to catch muskies. When we find that bug guy, it's over, right? Everybody's going to be catching so many fish. I think they can tell us, but it's so hard to find them. you got to cover so much water to find them. You can see them on a good 2D transducer, but how much water is to cover a day to find them? I mean, it's impossible almost. But that's why it makes it fun, I guess. If it was easy to catch them, nobody would do it. Or maybe they go bass fishing or something. Um, okay, so back to musky fishing, the hard fish to catch. Let's go back to uh, open water, beginning of the year. You're going to go out open water trolling, whether it's the first week or the third week, because it starts between the first and third week every year on every lake in Minnesota, uh, from the most southern lake to the most northern lake. That's a fact. First to opening day to two weeks after that, opening open water bite starts. So I start in the mud areas. Let's say I've never been to a lake before, I guess. Start where they're in the deepest basin. Go to the deepest hole in the whole lake. That's where I start. See what I see. I'm running side imaging. I'm running 2D sonar. I'm looking for bugs on the 2D, and I'm looking for bait and muskies on my side imaging. If the mayflies aren't hatching, obviously, you gotta you got to work a little harder. I get a little bit closer to the break, like we were talking about, getting closer to that edge. Females just got done spawning, and they're just working their way out to that open water um and a lot of times at the beginning of the open water bite the females will only come out for an hour or two a day to the basin it's a check i'd like to say they check it i think they're smarter than that but i feel like they're they're so hungry at that time of year that's why it creates the open water bite is literally one of the best bites of the entire year especially towards the end they're so fat they're eating cisco's like november and you can catch them with your shirt off when it's 90 degrees trolling. It's really fun. So this is one of your best chances of the year to catch one of your biggest fish. And that's a fact. There's no, it's, it's June or November. Those are your two biggest fish of the year. So you have this amazing opportunity. And that first, even opening weekend, you have a chance to go out and troll all day long, but you can't give up. You can't troll for an hour and expect that. You set. There's nothing out in the open water. So you have no idea if there's anything in the open water, unless you do it all day long. So when the open water bite really starts, which I hate to throw at water temps because I don't like water temps, but that 60 to 62, especially 62 degrees, 
the key on most of lakes I fish. That's when it's pretty hard to screw up a March trolling when it's 63 degrees. Let's put it that way. But you might have a great day when it's 59. So keep that in mind. Never be afraid to try it. Go out with your side imaging. I wouldn't try it at 59 with just a 2D, but at 50, 57, I'd try it with side imaging. To put it in perspective, I mean, if you have side imaging, you can see them there. They're, you can't miss them. You can't drive by them and not see them. So that's a huge thing. So start in the mud, start in the deepest basin, work your way around the deepest basin, go to the edges. Now, as far as baits go, I use only supernatural big baits. That's me. Other guys use other baits, but I only use supernatural big baits. So my favorite's the 10 inch matlock and the 12 inch headlock in the open water. A couple lakes I have the 12 inch matlock better and the 12 inch headlock. I haven't done amazing on the lakes that I fish with 10 inch headlock because I'm fishing lakes with huge discos in them. So the 10 inch matlock works for me, but, uh, and that's a more aggressive bait than the, uh, the 12 inch matlock. So the first bites I get of the year are usually on a 12 or 15 inch matlock then, or the 12 inch headlock. And as we move into the year, it's big tails on the 10 inch and the 10 inch, I'll put a 10 inch rubber tail on the 10 inch matlock as fast as I can get them. I'll speed up a little bit, but the majority of the time I'll run 3.3 is my trolling speed. I run a mass. If I only have two people in the boat, I'll run a just board, just TX 44s. Certain lakes too, we get bit in the prop wash as well. Um, and as the open water bite continues and the water gets warmer and all the mayflies are on the surface, the fish also get shallower. So I'll start trolling. Um, then I only, almost primarily only use the mass. Even if I have three people in the boat, I'll just run a mass off one side. And I like to school my baits. I think that's a huge thing, which is another entire podcast about schooling baits and having one bait in the front of the pack, one in the back of the pack. Why did the fish bite the middle bait? Is it the best color? Move it to the back of the pack. It was at random. Um, if every fish is bit on the front of the pack, was it, if the fish bites on the front bait, you got to move it to the back of the pack because you got to figure out if that's the color they want or it was just the first bait through and they're all eating. And there's a million ways to go with the school of fish pattern. So, um, tons of different things. And Brad's experienced that the last few years. He's running a mass as well. Yeah. You know, the, the neat thing about the mass is how controllable you are with your base. Okay. You can run like, like Matt said, you could run a TRX 44. The, the neat thing about that is, yeah, you, you're being able to put your base in that water column where you want them. But with the math system, the neat thing about that is you're doing that, but you're not fighting the board at that point once you get a fish on. And so the math system allows you to fight that fish behind the boat without worrying about that board and trying to unclip it. And so it, it presents a whole different opportunity with that. One of the things that I think is really large, and Matt, maybe you can talk about this too, is that how high these fish are in the water column. First of all, they're predator fish, so they're looking up. They want to feed up. I'm not saying that that's typically the answer, but the neat thing about it is, is there's a lot of times when those fish are way high in the water column. And I, I've noticed over the past, say, five, seven years, I just keep lifting my fit, or my baits higher and higher in the water column, and I'm still getting good success. 
it's unbelievable. I mean, a funny scenario of that was last year on Vermillion. I wasn't doing very good trolling. It was kind of cold. I thought, oh, yeah, it's not good. Well, there was a, a bunch of uh, the trolling fish that were getting caught were the 38 to 41 inches. And I'm there. I'm not, which is fine, but I'm not there with a mass out to catch. I'm there to catch big females. So there were some people catching them on TX44s. And then they told me afterwards, there was just people staying at the resorts I was guiding out of that and a lot of them hadn't caught a fish, but they had multiple fish eat their TX44s. And the other had, and I told them, don't put a lot of line out. You know, the fish are pretty shallow. I said, unless there's one basin, then I usually run about 38 feet of line because I catch them deep there. So the funny thing was, I was in that basin, which for the last 10 years, I've caught them at walleye 12-inch headlock with 38 feet of line on. It's been my best. Not always. I mean, I've caught them with 22 feet of line out. Was it really good for a couple weeks, for a few years? But they were running like 12 feet of line on this thing, and the fish were eating their TX44s. And I was there too. And a couple of them that ran 12 feet of line caught fish, small fish. So I'm out there running 38 feet of line. Think I'm, you know, the guy. I'm the guide. I'm the guy you ask, right? I I know a lot, right? Well, nah, you think you know a lot till you're wrong. Flat. <laughs> yeah. So here I am, and these people are there. They got more bites, and this is kind of a true fact. When I run TX44s, I've pretty much got a half or a third of my bites, and the, and I know where to run my lines because I'm there every day to the people that aren't. But I've got a half or a third of my bites on my TX44s. If you watch reports, you'll see the fish eat them 44s, which are on the surface rather than your baits that are down. And you don't, like Brad said, you don't want to get underneath these fish. It's a bad scenario. And it, and these people get so worried. I got to be at this depth. Like me, you got to be at 38 feet in this bay. It's just how it is. And it's proven, it's fact, and I've beaten most all the other guides there in that basin. And then as soon as I, I, I thought I had it figured out, I was wrong. So it's so funny. It's just, you don't want to be, you can run one bait at 38 feet because that's where you got bit, but the rest of them should be up. But then here's me. I, got, I caught them at 38. So I got one at 32, and I got one at 28, and I got one at 24. And the guys that are getting bit have 10 feet of line up, or their boards are getting eaten. So it's a huge thing to not be below the fish. You can't screw it up. And I, the funny thing, me and Brad always talk about this in the boat when we're fishing together. These people that are so worried about depth on their baits, you're in a 21 foot ranger and we're talking to each other and our 10 foot rods are hitting each other in the figure eight. Like that's a kick of the tail to them. They might be down 20 feet. That's if you're throwing a top water, they're down 21 feet that they can eat that in one second, not even think about it eating that bait. So don't, don't let too much line out. Look, look at the transom of your boat to the bow of your boat and say it's 21, 19, whatever size boat you got. Think about that. That fish is aware. I mean, truly, that fish is aware of where that is. I mean, you can see the front of your boat like nothing. So 15 feet, 20 feet is nothing for that fish to actually come up and take a look at your bait. Think about that. It's relevant when you look inside your boat how far that distance is. It's not that far away. No, it's not at all especially with the supernatural baits. I mean, they, 
they do something special to the fish. I was never a big trolling fan. I caught a few trolling fish and I got supernatural bait and it was game over. I mean, it kind of, I mean, it half made my career. Some of the open water fishing I've done, those fish, we catch them. I, we catch a lot of them and they are amazing baits and those fish find those baits. You don't, and they trigger baits. I mean, I used to have to drive nine miles an hour to four miles an hour to two miles an hour to seven miles an hour. I mean, I, my boat was going in circles and speeding up and slowing down. Now I just drive in a straight line and they bite. It's crazy with the triggering strikes. Now don't get me wrong. I can still trigger bites with a headlock or a matlock by speeding up or slowing down. But it's, it's been crazy the, the last few years that the amount of non-speed changes I've had to do to catch all these fish. And I don't know, I might be missing something here. I'm just rambling here. We're talking, I'm well, getting excited about trolling now, but. One of the things that I want to talk to, you know, to the audience anyway, Matt's talking about 38 feet. He's not talking about 38 feet down. He's talking about 38 feet off that line. So in other words. Which by the way, is the most line I've ever run. Yeah. I don't run any deeper than that. And, and when you talk about 38 feet, you're talking about 38 feet from the cliff. In yeah. other words, you're down what? 38 feet of line, and I'm running 100-pound Cortland Master Braid, which, which puts down. my bait down 11 feet. Right. So think about that. I mean, I've never trolled deeper than... I've tried it. I've never caught a fish deeper than that. I would agree with Because I'm underneath them, especially the Leech Lake strain. Now, I have a couple clients that fish uh, northern Wisconsin in the fall and after the thermocline disappears they catch some absolute giants in deep water rubbing the bottom in 30 feet of water so I don't want to tell you guys that I'm right and you're wrong because I fish Minnesota and I do just fine and I have caught the biggest fish ever in my boat with 85 feet of line out with a hundred pound court, the master braid on the lax over 42 feet of water. And my bait was running in 16 and a half feet of water, maybe 17. And that fish was suspended. We marked it. I turned around and we caught it. That's November. That's a different scenario. So I'm talking about the rest of the year, these fish in the fall, if we want to do a fall trolling one, we can, or we can talk about that in a second. But I being underneath fish is the worst mistake you could ever make. I watched, I, the first time I trolled uh, Leech my whole life, I was in Walker Bay, and there was a couple other musky guys trolling there, and it was July 11th, and we caught nine, and we had four feet of line up. We had our leaders clipped onto the board. We didn't even, we had two inches of line from the leader. We had four foot leaders on, and they didn't catch any, and they live on the lake. So that that's the difference. It's a huge thing to not be below the fish. I truly believe that. If you ever are wondering how much line to put out, if, if you're just completely blank, I mean, let's talk about a crystal clear lake with 200 feet of water. I've fished Crow Lake in Canada, and the muskies were so deep there, we couldn't believe how deep we marked fish, and they were eating baits with 12 feet of line out, um, over 300 feet of water. Uh, it blew my mind. That kind of opened my eyes to the whole trolling thing, too, as well, for depth-wise. But just put out 
if, if you're so worried about it, put out 60 feet of line on one bait. And if you have three baits, even if you have two, put out one at 60, put one out at 10 or five. I know it sounds crazy. You have to use boards. That's the problem. But I think that's why a lot of guys don't musky fish trolling or tr- troll muskies because they always put out 40 or 50 feet of line. And because if you put out four feet of line, you're not going to get bit next to the boat. You have to have boards. Don't even go trolling. Just get boards. Be efficient. Look at walleye guys. They got 12 boards in their boat with spring-loaded flags on them to sense a 12-incher biting it. Like, step the game up. You spent 600 bucks on your trolling setup. You can spend 15 bucks on a planter board or 40 bucks on a planter board. Get your planter board and get your baits out there as far away from the boat as you can. You bought the big trolling reel. You got the fancy trolling reel. You might as well use it. So get it, your baits out to the side and get the baits up high, and you'll catch more fish for sure, especially early in the year. And then in the summer, it even gets shallower. That's where it gets fun. If you, if you want to troll in the summer, I mean, I have these clients that I, I get stuck, right? Like, I caught them this way. I, this is how I always catch them. Well, and then like Bruce Shumway trolls by me on Vermilion in two feet of water with his motor trimmed up. Trolling bucktails with, right behind the boat with 100 feet of line on it, seven miles an hour, and he caught two more than me that day. I mean, it's just amazing. Some of these guys come up with stuff. He, well, yeah, we had a reel all day. We burned bucktails all day. Well, he just drove seven miles an hour over all the reefs and caught more fish than me. You, there's there's endless opportunities to this whole trolling game. That's that's the fun part about it. Do you troll bucktails, Red? Yeah, I do. Um, we use our trolling girls quite often and had tons and tons of success with that bait. It's incredible. I mean, there's certain years that blades are like the number one. I mean, like where 90% of the fish come on that on the blade bait versus the crankbait. Now, in other years, the crankbait shines. I mean, and I, I'm no different than you, Matt. We use a lot of supernatural. And the reason we do is, first of all, it's a large target. Their their action definitely... Because it's the best bait ever made. It, it's the really best crankbait ever made. <laughs> I mean, it's incredible. And I, I think <laughs> something that you didn't bring up is the Matlock was actually named after Matt Seifert. I mean... It's kind of a cool little story, and if you go to Supernatural's uh, website, you'll learn real quick. Matt was challenged to catch some 50 inches on this particular bait, and if you do it, guess what? We're going to call it the Matlock, and I think you got it done, what, one day? Yeah. Yeah, Duff told me, he said, we're going to call it the Matlock, and I said, really? That's kind of weird. I mean, I like you, and I, I really... That'd be awesome. Really? And he goes, no, I'm just kidding. And I go, oh, what are you going to call it? He goes, it's going to be called the Fat Lock. And I said, oh, the Fat Lock. That's a good name because it's, it's fatter a, than it's the headlock. It's a fatter base than the headlock. Yeah. yeah. And I go, ah, that's good. He goes, but if you catch a 50-incher fifty incher on it, and I was going ahead in a vermilion, it was like a Monday night or Tuesday night, and he said, if you catch a 50-incher on it by Thursday, I'll call it the Matlock. And I'm like, game on. And Wednesday morning, we got a 52 and a half and a 47 and a half doubles on Matlock. Both of the fish caught on Matlock. The first Matlock ever put in the water. It was pretty fun. That's the cool part. Are you awake? I am. Yep. Uh, I'm actually yeah, but- thinking about my obsession with Matlocks, actually. I love those, <laughs> I love those baits. Yeah, they're amazing. 
Um, so I want to talk to people about this. I didn't, I don't know if I mentioned this on past podcasts, but night trolling. So on Vermillion, we've gone through this thing. So I started trolling this bait with Bob Benson. I should, I introduced him to the headlock before the matlock was out. And, uh, he told me I couldn't run it on the math system. I had, a, if I ran it, then I had to take that rod. I couldn't take turns with the jakes. So we were catching on jakes. And I said, well, okay. So I put the bait out. I caught another one. I caught another one. I caught another one. And then I told my buddy, Sean, who was in the boat, I said, well, you get the next one. Okay. The rod goes off and it was, Bob's turn because they had caught one on the jig. So he goes for the rod and I said, no, no, nope. That's, that's Sean's, that's the headlock rod. You don't get that one. You said you could, only I had the chance to reel that one in. So we had caught like four or five fish on the headlock before, um, since he'd caught one on the jig. So he was a little bit frustrated. So we, he ended up ordering a bunch from Duff and the rest history. And, we, and me and Bob are best friends. So we, it was just a massacre on Vermilion. We crushed so many fish. We kept, I mean, kept catching them, kept catching them. And then it switched to, okay, it's getting slow. And then we got the matlock. We started crushing just as many. Now there's, oh, so many people there. It's just like a rodeo up there sometimes trolling. And it's gotten less the last few years because the bite's gotten slower. But so many people caught all these big fish on headlocks and matlocks. So it's slowed down. Well, now we troll at night. So what sets you apart from the other 20 guys trolling? That's what I want to talk about. So everybody's going three to four miles an hour in the daytime or three, five to four, five in the daytime. For me now, granted you have to remember too, your bugs are a huge thing. So once sundown happens and this is on any lake, I guarantee you this. Always talk about the shallow line stuff. Changes after dark. The fish are not on the surface after dark. That I've ever found. I can't say that that's right everywhere. But every lake I've ever fished after dark, the fish are not shallow anymore. So I'm going to spill the beans here, but that 20 to 34 feet of line out at night, and maybe even more, at 2.6, 2.5. Slow it down. Just like slow on a cowgirl at night. It'll change everything for you. And like I was saying about going out in the old water and saying there's nothing here, if bugs early in the year, you go out 11 o'clock in the afternoon after you didn't see anything in the shallows and you went out and tried it for an hour and you didn't see anything and said, oh, yeah, we're not fishing on water. Go back at sundown. I know you want to go back to the shells at sundown, like the rest of the year when you're casting muskies. Sundown's the best bite. Um, go to the open water at sundown, and you'll be pleasantly surprised. You're going to see the bugs, see what depth they're at. Even if it's one night, you might not catch anything, but you're going to find out what the bugs are doing, and that really drives what's going to happen the next you know, week or so or that night. If you get out there and the bugs are already on the surface and all of a sudden you're, there's bugs landing on your neck, you're going to start catching immediately. So uh, that slow down at night, let a little bit of line out. And as you, get, as you get out there and start learning what the bugs are doing, the bugs will be on the surface at night. And as soon as it's dark, 
those bugs will drop to about where the thermocline would be in the summer. They drop right down to their comfort zone in that 20 to 30 feet. And the muskies will not go down. They'll go down about mm, 12 to 16 feet. The leech lakers that I'm fishing in Minnesota will. But that drops those fish down. And when your bait's just above their head, slow rolling, they eat them. And they eat them good. So that's one thing that me and Brad are going to get on this year. We're going to do some more night trolling. But that's the great part about open water trolling. The fish are biting. They're biting and they're fat. And you can go out and get six a day or two, even two a day, two giants, you know, or hook two and lose or hook two and catch one, whatever it is. It, it's a good day. You had fun, you know, but if you're willing to stick it out, there's definitely bite windows at night. And it's, there's two bite windows on a lake I'm on all the time that are, that's great. And it's right after dark, half an hour after dark, that real black, black, like the 10.30, 10.40 bite. And then there's one quite a bit later. But if you stick it out, you get another fish. And they're usually really big ones. So, slowing it down at night is a huge thing. And I don't think a lot of guys do. But you fish at night, you need to drop it almost a mile an hour. So that 2.6, you'll lose your headlocks at 2.3. But at 2.4, 2.5, you can run all your baits and you'll be catching. It's yeah, I, I think, you know, there's a couple different things that I'd like to bring up in this whole podcast. One being, you know, you're talking about night fish at this point, Matt. You know, so many people think they fish 30 minutes, an hour, hour and a half, whatever it might be, after dark, sunset, I'm talking. The fish aren't biting. Well, guess what? There's windows throughout the day sun up I'm talking about there's windows after dark as well it isn't it isn't like well it's dark 15 minutes they're gonna be eaten no sometimes there's windows that are later I mean it might be three hours later and you have to look at those windows to actually kind of correlate with what the fish are doing and that might be moonrise it might be moon, moon overhead it might be sunset with moonrise an hour later you you got to correlate what it is that makes the window. And that might be a bug hatch. I mean, if you think about it, we're talking about bug hatches. Maybe there's a bug hatch at midnight. Well, guess what? That bug hatch is what directs those fish to actually go eat. So think about that. Don't, don't always get yourself tied up into, I'm fishing after dark. It's been 45 minutes. It's after dark that doesn't mean that that's when the fish actually eat. So there's windows after dark, no different than there are windows during the day. Okay. Number two, I would say this. Matt was talking and this was maybe 20 minutes ago or whatever, but Matt was talking about how keeping your baits elevated in the water, you're trolling during the day. One of the things that I can tell you that I've, often often seen in open water situations your side imaging will tell you you're spooking the fish and that fish is zooming away from the boat because you're right on top of it there's times when i'm out on the open water i'm visually seeing it not only on the side imaging but i'm also visually seeing these fish that you're spooking right on the surface they're like up there sunbathing if yep. you will and when they're sunbathing, 
you know, the boat pushes them and they're like, well, I'm out of here. You know, there's a boat here. So they freak out and they start going way off, whether it's port side, starboard side, doesn't matter. But those fish spook because they're up in that high water column where they're like right under the surface and they're zooming away from the boat. When they zoom away from the boat, I think that's the mass system or it's, you know, even the boards that you're running on your line. Yeah, and I see a lot of guys running boards with just a little bit of line-up. Get them way out there. Right. I mean way out there. Our mast is out 120 feet. We can't even see it on side imaging. Half the fish we catch, we don't even see it. More than half. Right. They're on the other side of our mast and saw our baits. We don't even... But when you spook a fish, Matt, I mean, I've got tons of pictures on my phone. They're 15 feet from the boat, and we're spooking them, and they're going out. They're shooting away from the boat, and Ultimately, guess what happens next? All of a sudden, there's a bait in their face. And they're like, I got to make a decision here. Either I eat or I flee, right? You know, and and that's the ticket. It truly is. I don't care if you run a math system or if you're running the TRX 44s. They have to make a decision at that point. Yeah. It it scares them right into into the board. There's so many fish shell, and the guys without side imaging or without their eyes open don't see any of that. And that's what separates a lot of the fishermen. That's when you start to catch them. And, I mean, to be honest, I've been talking about supernatural baits and everything, but if you want to be the best trawler, there's no baits off limits. There really isn't. I mean, there was some guy last year in a basin that is so beat up on Lake Vermilion. I mean, I didn't think you'd catch anything on their trawl. Some guy caught a 55-incher on a matlock at, like, noon when I thought it was over. I was casting that morning. We got a 54 that morning and a 47. And Luke got a big one, too, like a 52 or something. And it was it. I mean, there was nine guys in that, like, casting. Everybody's running Garmin, Panoptics, and side imaging, and 360. None of us are seeing anything. It's over. And some dude in, like, a... 15-foot lunge trolls by and catches a 55-incher on a matlock. Like, when I thought every fish on that lake had been caught three times on a matlock in that basin. The next day, some dude came out, didn't know anything. We had to go over and help him cut the hooks and use a net. And then I sent him back. He was staying at Spring Bay Lodge. He went back to Spring Bay and bought all the right stuff. He did a great job. He did all this amazing things and he kept catching them all week. And he was Throwing a white Medusa at 2.7 miles an hour with no board. He had like 200 feet of line up thing with three feet below the surface, and he caught. He might have beat everybody. Nine guys on that, like, he might have beat them all. Like, you, you just never know. When you troll, and then look at Duff. I mean, he makes one of the best baits, the best trolling bait in the world, right? I, I truly believe that. And the guy's a great troller. That's what he does. He trolls. And I'll see him out there. He catches fish on a sledge sometimes. I mean, I like, blows my mind. Like, he'll be like, well, we got a 51 on a sledge. What's a sledge? I don't even know what a sledge is. It's like a plastic reef hog. What? You caught a fish trolling on a plastic reef hog? What? I mean, the guy's just amazing. He just does it. He gets it done, right? I mean, he's always got some just big spinner bait or something. Yeah, it, he just gets it done, right? And, that's the cool thing about trolling. There's as many options. And here's the other thing to remember about trolling is, and I might've touched on this. I can't remember, but if you 
go out. I think I did touch on it. You go up for an hour and say, oh, they're not here. You don't know. You really don't know. Because you cast for six hours and you see three follows and it keeps you in the game. The problem with trolling is you don't see the follow. So you leave. But you're getting, you might be getting follows. You might be getting follows. That's the cool thing. It's almost like less hope. It almost makes you more of an insane musky fisherman troll. Yeah, there's truth to that. But yeah. if you keep I- it up, you'll actually catch more. Like, it literally puts more fish in the boat. It's, in some basins, it's more fish in the boat all year long. No, in the summer here, it's not always easy to keep them trolling. You might have to troll two pounders over the weeds or, you know, do something silly. But you'll catch them. You can always catch them trolling. You have a bait in the water, you're going to win. I think, I think so. Ultimately, that's when you lean on your electronics more. Oh, that's for sure. Yep. I mean, and and that goes back to the podcast last week, right? I mean, you lean on your electronics because those electronics are going to tell you what those fish are doing. Yeah, exactly. And and it might not be finding the the monkey, but it might be finding the bugs. It might be finding the bait. So... (laughs) Those two key components are going to put you on more fish. Yeah, it all tells a story. You have to be aware all the time. And that's why, I mean, I'm a little absurd. I have a lot of grass in my boat, but I have a GPS screen, sound imaging, regular 2D sonar, and a full-side imaging 12-incher. And then I have a full 12-incher for 360 and another GPS. So I'm over the top, but it all helps me learn. I mean, it, that's the tools in your boat. It doesn't matter if you have a 14-foot rowboat. If you have five graphs in it like I do, you're going to know more than the guy with the brand-new 622 Pro Ranger that he spent $130,000 on, and he's got a 12-inch Lowrance that has a GPS and he doesn't know how to work the side imaging. The guy in the 14-foot rowboat is going to double your fish or triple or quadruple them because he's way more knowledgeable than you are. It doesn't matter what boat you have. Those are the tools you need to catch fish. I think people need to realize that. They're worried about buying the best boat when they should be worried about buying the best tool for them to catch fish. The best tool is a good rod, five good baits, and amazing grass. We have the technology. Use them. Use the technology to catch them. I would totally agree with you, Matt. I mean, if you think about it, the boat, you know, I've had tons of clients get in my boat and they go, Fred, I can't do what you do. And I go, what do you mean by that? And they go, well, I don't have this, this ranger boat. I don't have this. I don't have that. It doesn't matter. I asked them straight up. First thing I asked, do you bail water? What do you mean? <laughs> and I said, well, do you bail water? And they're like, I don't, I don't understand. And I'm like, if you're bailing water, to try to keep on the water, then you've got a problem. But if you're not bailing water and there's no leak in your boat, guess what? You have the same advantage that I do. Yeah, absolutely. But the next advantage is, is how you use your electronics to get to the next mode, right? And those electronics are what take you to the next level. And from there, it's experience and it's time on the water. Yeah, the funny part is, I want to put this in perspective because I have a really nice boat and I justify it by being a guide. 
and I don't make a lot of money, but I have a very, very nice boat, nicer than most people. So I justify that because I'm a guy, right? I need a good boat. It's your office. It's my office. But at the same time, I learned more in a 14 foot Lund. And I used to laugh at the guys in the Rangers because I would come to the launch and I didn't want to tell them, right? I was the old walleye mentality where I started musky fishing. And, well, we found out about these bulldog things. So we would fish deep. And we didn't, we threw the cowgirl one night the day the year the cowgirl came out. We threw it and we broke both our reels. So we wouldn't throw it anymore. We had one of them. It was a rainbow colored cowgirl with silver blades. I wouldn't throw it anymore. <laughs> so we found these walleye colored bulldogs that this guy at the base store said, oh, they like this up on this man trap lake. Well, I was like, well, I'm a walleye guy. I, I can catch walleye. So I found walleye spots. Unbeknownst to me, man trap didn't even have any walleyes in it. <laughs> so here I am fishing what I thought would be good walleye spots, counting down regular dogs, which were so small. Now I would never throw one of those now. I only throw pounders. So I was throwing these little tiny baits at the time. I thought they were big because we had crappy rods. And I remember we'd catch like 14 fish a day. We'd come into the boat launch and these guys with these 620 Rangers were coming. We'd be like, yeah, I got five on this Joe Booker bucktail. And they're like, how'd you guys do? And we're like, no, oh, we didn't see one. Because like, I thought it was cooler, like walleye style, than not tell anybody anything. So I get a kick out of that. I mean, it's just these electronics now. If I would have had those electronics, I would have destroyed. I mean, it would have even been, it would have been so ridiculous. I don't even, it's it's who the guy is, I guess. It's, it's who you are listening to this podcast, what you want to do. But you need the technology to do it. I, and that's the cool part. You don't need a good boat. So yeah, me and Brad have six twenty one Rangers. So yeah, yeah, we have a slower drift, and yeah, we can run spots in big wind easier than you can. Like or some spots you can't even run them. We can run them no problem. But guess what? You went and learned three spots that were calm when we're just grinding out the same stuff we fish the next day or the last day because we caught them there the last day. So you're learning more. That was the difference between me and these other guys. I was fishing spots I could fish, and they were just fishing the spot. And that's what I find myself in that same scenario as a guy. You you should fish a new spot every day, no matter who you are, no matter what boat you have. Fish a new spot every day. Every day, fish a new spot, and you'll learn something. That's key. That's the difference between everybody else. You have to go out and fish a new spot. So, oh, man, they're biting. Perfect, they're biting. That's the time to explore. When they're biting everywhere, it's the best bite you've ever had. I'm going to my best spot. No, go to a new spot. Just do it every four spots. Go to a new spot and try something new. That's when you're going to learn. That's when it all changes. So, it, and the graphs are the important part. The boat's not the important part. You can go into shallow bays. You can go into protected spots, points behind wind and fish all these spots. And yeah, granted, I might be in the big wind on a shield lake and I'm catching the most fish for you. But guess what? I didn't learn anything that day and you learned a bunch. And I didn't. I didn't learn a thing. I just went to the spots. I always catch fish. What did I learn how to do? Maybe a new way to cut a hook deep in a gill. But you learned more about the lake than I did. And that's the difference. That's what the problem about being a guide is too. That's the cool part. 
about fishing this new spot every day. That's my rule. I try to fish a new spot every day. And if my clients don't like it, well, then too bad. I don't tell them, but that's, I always fish a new spot every day because you can't learn about anything if you don't fish a new spot every day. And this is going to the more experienced anglers, not the new guys, because the new guys fish new spots all the time. That's the cool part about new guys. That's what sets them apart. And they learn a bunch. That's the funny part. I get a kick out of these older guys that make fun of these young kids that all of a sudden got a whole bunch of fish. And I'm like, hey, if they keep doing what they're doing, they're going to keep catching a bunch of fish because all you do is fish the milk run. So that's another thing to keep in mind, whether you're trolling or casting, just there's a whole lake there. If you don't fish every inch of it, you don't know what's going on because no one knows what's going on with the muskie. We've all been trying to figure it out for years. If we were bassett fishermen, we all know where they live. But if we're musky fishermen, we don't know where they are. We never know where they are. We think we know where they are. And as soon as we think we know, we're wrong. Or as soon as we think we know they're going to eat, we're wrong. We might know where they live. It doesn't mean you can catch them. So that's the cool thing about musky fishing. Always keep you guessing. You can't ever quit. You got to keep going all the time. Keep trying. Keep trying new stuff. And use your electronics. It's amazing. And we can keep talking about trolling too, but I think we'll probably wrap it up, huh? You know, the one thing that came to my mind, Matt, is a local guide. And I don't even know if he's guiding anymore, but honestly, 10, 12 years ago, this guy was running out of a 14-foot boat before he started guiding. He's cruising across the lake blah, 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 with a 15-horse motor. And guess what? He's the one that really, truly gave me the aspect of open-water trolling. Because guess what? He wanted to go to the next casting spot, and he started trolling. And while he trolled from spot A to spot B, he trolled because why not fish on your way there with a 15-horse motor? He caught fish and he kind of put that in, in the back of my mind. And not only me, but Greg Thomas was here guiding with me. The next thing I knew, he's catching a ton of fish in these deep open water basins trying to get to the next spot. And it opened our eyes. We're like, what are we doing? We're not fishing the right spots all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, he truly, truly opened our eyes. I mean, you think about it. A 14-foot boat where, yeah, you and me were in a 20, 21-foot boat, whatever it is. This guy was making it happen in a 14-foot boat with a 15-horse motor. And I'm like, wow, we need to make a change. Yeah. You guys, the big ones, and some guy in a 14-foot boat's catching them. Exactly. That's the cool part. Yeah. So. It isn't about the boat. It no. truly, truly isn't. And what it's about is about experience. It's about electronics. And it's about putting your time in where you need to put your time in. And not being afraid to try something new. That's the huge, the biggest part. And that's down. where I feel like most musky fishermen fail. I would they agree. They go to what they know. And they said they didn't bite today. And that's not a musky fisherman thing in general. That's the biggest downfall of musky fishermen, I think. But it's also one of the biggest downfalls of all fishermen. 
I would say the look at the walleye guys. The muskies are eating all our walleye. So you got walleyes in your you got muskies in your lake now, and you say they're eating all your walleye, but you put eighteen of them in your live well every day. So you you eat eighteen walleyes a day, and a muskie eats one walleye a year. So, but guess what happened when the walleyes came in? Now you're catching bigger walleyes, but you only catch four of them. Where the little walleyes go? I mean, well, muskies are the apex predator in a lake, so they create this new fishery. So these walleye guys aren't even willing to move 20 yards to a new spot or even try a new spot because their grandpa caught them there 28 years ago. Well, lakes change. It's just such a simple thing. And I think most muskie fishermen understand this, that they caught them here and then, oh, it's tough now. And all of a sudden they get on a different bite with a new bait. Now, this is my new favorite bait. It's not your favorite bait. You were just happened to be in that spot when they bit. You just went to the spot where they are now. And these are stock fish. They die soon. And then there's new stock fish and they have new spots in the lake. And when the monkeys first get to the lake, there's this many panfish in the lake. So they're all in this spot. And this is the best spot for the first 10 years. And now they're just fishing memories. Some new kid comes and catches them all. Why does he catch them all? Because he fishes new spots. And why does he fish those spots? Because the other spots that the other guys are all fishing memories on aren't good anymore. I agree. So he fishes the new spots, and the panfish population now are way bigger. So he had these tiny millions of little panfish in the lake, and they were all in this. So this were the best spots. That's where all the muskies went. Now they ate all the little things. Now there's giant panfish. Now the muskies are eating shiners and perch. So the, those muskies have moved, and now the big panfish are over here, and the giant muskies are over where the big panfish are. And the little guy in the 14-foot line found them, and everyone else is fishing memories. That's what's cool about musky fishing. Hands down. You have to move around. You have to explore. Every day is different, and you can't quit. If you quit, if you're not innovative every day on the water, you'll fail. And I think where this all really stands out is tournament fishing. Because in tournament fishing, we're provided the answer or the solution. Somebody somewhere catches a giant fish. And you look through this whole thing, three, four guys that you network with struggle. Guess what? Somebody caught a fish somewhere yep, or multiple fish. And, and that's the true solution. I mean, somebody's always going to catch. You got to think about that. And so when you're having your hardest time on the water, you, you just know in the back of your head, I think my guiding years on Malaya. I'm like, man, all my network guys, whether it was Hammernick or Greg Thomas or Luke Ronestrand, we're all struggling. Guess what? A day or two later, we found out so-and-so caught three or four fish where we never ever dreamt that we'd catch a fish. So sometimes those newer anglers or somebody that just shows up on that particular day, they succeed. And we didn't. Yeah, or some guy Somebody's that fishes a little catch. tiny lake in Wisconsin, and that's the way he fishes. He shows up Malax and catches two fifty-five inches. It's exactly. insane. It's it's that's what makes musky fishing so cool. There's no limit to what you can do in musky. No fishing. rhyme or reason. Yep. And that's why trolling is so important. I mean, if you think you know what you're doing, you're like, oh, I'm such a good caster, and I always do good. I'm better than the other guys. Well, and the fact of the matter is, if 
yeah, if you have great ball control, you are going to do better than most guys most of the time, even on the new spot. That comes back to the ball control thing. I Sorry, I keep harping on that, but it's huge. It's, yeah. it's, in my opinion, the most important part. It is. It is the most important part. Because you can run the worst spot where there's only one fish and it's 38 inches, but you're going to catch it if you got the right boat control. Other guys will never see it. And they'll never go back there. And then that 38 incher brings his friends over. Five years later, that spot's got a whole bunch of 48 and 50s on it. Yeah, it, it's a weird thing, but the boat control is huge. The pursuit of new water is huge. The most important part, I think, besides boat control and trolling is the other aspect that most guys don't think about. And you just can't fish open. I, if you know your lake and it's small, fine. You can go out and cast open water. But if you don't troll, you're blowing it. And I'm not here to sell it. I mean, I only do it in June and November, a little bit in October. But and I'm, I, it's one of my favorite things, though. It, and it's key. I've tried it all year. Don't get me wrong. But it, in June and November, it is the best thing. There is no, do I want to catch one on a pounder? Or do I want to catch one on a matlock, casting a matlock with the rubber tail on it? Yeah, I want to feel the bite. You can hold on to your rod and feel the bite trolling. Same thing. But if you want to catch the biggest and the most fish, trolling is usually the best route in June and November. And if you're not doing it, then that's fine. Do what you want to do. But if you want to put the most fish in the boat, you need to troll. And trolling can bring a whole other aspect to everything. It can make your days way funner on the water. When you just feel like you're shot, make a sandwich. Everybody take a nap. You got two lines in the water. Take turns. It's a two-hour break midday. When you know you have, you got a fish in three days that two-hour period, just troll. And all of a sudden, you might find the best. That's some of the best bites I've ever found in my life is doing that. Trolling midday when nothing's going on. You can find one of the most amazing bites ever. So that's that's the cool thing about trolling. There's no options. And we can do another. We can do another podcast on summer trolling. Another podcast on fall trolling. But it's endless the opportunities you have. I think the the real component to the open water June bite it truly provides an opportunity. It's the largest fish in the in the body of water mm-hmm. that you're fishing. And I mean, people ask, why are you open water trolling? Plain and simple. I have the opportunity at the largest fish in the system. Done. Yep. How many guys have I talked to? I mean, hundreds. Biggest fish they've ever seen? November. Don't know where it came from. It had to be almost 60 inches. It had to be almost 60 inches. Or it was 60 inches. There was 62. Biggest fish, longest fish. I love fall. I'll never, I'm never going deer hunting again. It's ruined a bunch of guys' lives. But we get, a, we get to see all those fish in June. You go out and cast open water or throw open water in June, you get to see all those fish. Yep. And actually, you get to see more. I would say more. In June, yeah. In June, I see more big fish than I have in November. I agree. On lakes that I didn't even know had 57-inch fish in them. Yeah, June is an amazing month. People don't realize... I know people don't want to think about it because musky fishing, I mean, technically, in most of the musky realm, 
July 10th is kind of the start for most of the lakes. That's when you can catch them in two feet of water and fishing's good, but that's what people think. But the best fishing's two weeks before that, before they go to the rocks, because they're eating. Because when they get to the rocks, you see them, and then the fish just keep getting smaller, and you stop seeing those 57 inches, and they turn into 50 inches, and then the rock piles have 154 on each giant rock pile and the rest are 47 inches rest of the year but all those 50 those big mid 50s they're eating in open water a week before they get to the rocks and the reason you didn't catch them on the rocks and you just saw them, the big blonde ones because they've already eaten and they were eating like it was their last meal and if you're in the open water you'll catch them so can't say that enough that's one of the cool things about the open water that people don't get and I know it's a lot of people get scared about it, but if you have, even if you don't have side imaging, it's worth spending time in there. I learned it all without side imaging. I learned it with the 2D sonar. I mean, I was the only one out there. and It was an amazing lake. Don't get me wrong, but now it's not quite that easy, but it's, it's still an opportunity. In some lakes, it probably is that easier, easier, depending on where you are. The opportunity presents itself. Yeah, that's, absolutely. That's the bottom line. So, Jeff, are you still awake? I'm still hanging on. <laughs> That's good. That's the easiest podcast I've ever had to do. Yeah, you could have taken a nap for a while. <laughs> I could have, but I was waiting for you guys to you know, ask me a question, and I wasn't going to answer it, so I was like, well, I should probably stay awake <laughs> for this one. Uh, that's good. Maybe you learned something, Jeff. I always learn something. I mean, No, it, you, know, you know it all. No. Not even close. I barely even know any of it. <laughs> Still a rookie. I don't know. I don't know anything either. Yeah, I like listening Sorry. to everybody talk, different perspectives, different. I mean, every podcast I listen to, I always end up taking something away, thinking I should try that this year. I should try that this year. So that's good. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about getting a 14 foot lung with a 15 horse on it again. Maybe a maybe 30 horse. 30 40. horse. I'd have I'd a 30 horse. I feel like I could do some damage in that. Hands down. Uh, it changes your whole perspective on fishing. That's my problem I have. All these guys talking on this show all have big boats. That's the thing I wanted to bring in a perspective like, huh, I wonder if it'd be like to go back to the old days and see what happens, you know? You'd still catch them? Well, yeah, I caught them in the 14 foot line. I caught, I think I might have caught more than that. <laughs> but I wasn't guiding either. I was fishing with a couple of really awesome fishermen that didn't mess up figure eights or anything. But, but you know, I mean, it, it is what it is. It's just, it's a cool thing. The whole progression of it, the history of it, the, yeah, such a cool sport. Sometimes, don't you think the climb is more fun than when you start to put it all together or not? I do. I think that's why I talked about that tonight. Yeah. The climb was the greatest rush I've ever had in my life. But that's what I need to remind myself, though, that the climb's not over. That's what I'm talking about this for. You can't ever... The climb can be the same tomorrow if I put it in my mind that the climb can be the same. Right. I truly believe that. But that's the problem. That's why I'm talking about it. Because it's, I lay, lay awake at night thinking about that. If I did it in a 14-foot lund, why can't I do it in a 21-foot ranger? I'm guiding, and I'm going to the same spot, and then it, that's why I have to fish a new spot every day. That's the, num- that's the first step. 
I truly believe that's the first step. But you can't stop. You Why not? And that's why me and Brad, we, every time we're together, we're like, what about this lake? What about this lake? Is there muskies? Or maybe there is. Let's, let's go try it. I mean, it's just, that's our next rush or, I don't know, it's crazy. Hey, but then you, when you guide it, that's the problem with guiding. You get stuck in a rut. You, we caught him here yesterday. Let's go back here, which anybody would do, right? But we're watching moon windows. Oh, you build yourself up. We're, we, oh, we watch moon windows better than anybody. And we, yeah, the wind changed, and most guys don't know what the wind changes. They bite there. So we go back to that spot. But they didn't bite there. We never even saw one there. And then sometimes, when you're fishing heavy weeds, you can't see them in the side imaging, so you think they're there, but are they there? So I don't know if they're there. They didn't follow, so why'd you go back? Because you're fishing memory. If we literally shut it all off and just fished like we've never been there before, we'd probably get to our muskies. That's the cool part about muskie fishing. So if we guide there, and we know there were 17 fish there yesterday, we had 10 falls, and we caught three. The next day, you went there, and you're like, oh, they didn't follow, but they'll follow the next moonrise. Well, if there were 17 fish there, we're fishing some of the best baits made in the industry. <laughs> they would have fallen, right? And then you go to a new spot, and you get nine follows out of a window. We're like, well, they moved, you know? It's just, but you get caught in ruts, and that's what musky fishermen do, which I get, because muskies are the hardest thing to catch in the world, and I can't give an answer, obviously, because you got to fish the rut sometimes, because that's usually what produces, right? Even though you didn't get a follow, so did they move, or did they just, they weren't hungry, but then you go to the next spot, you get nine follows. So what do you do now? You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's so fun. I Vicious it, circle. Yeah, it's a vicious circle. You can't win sometimes, and sometimes you win big. It's not like normal fishing. It's not, it's simple when you go walleye fishing, I think. I mean, it, well, it's not simple to, to get them to bite, but it's simple to find them. It's simple to find the bait. They're in simple areas. You can see them. They're usually not hiding in weeds. They're on sand or rocks. And Oh, there's the walleyes. There's the bait. Okay, so if there's bait here and there's walleyes here, they're going to bite. There's the walleyes. There's no bait. They're probably not going to bite. Fish them. They didn't bite. Where's the walleyes with the bait? There they are. Oh, they bit. Okay, we caught them. Muskies? No, no, not the same. And that's what keeps it interesting. That's the beauty of it. Yeah, that's why they're... Yeah, you guys own tackle companies or so, or a shop and a tackle company. Uh, that's maybe not the beauty of for you. <laughs> no, I it's mean, the beauty of musky fishing in, in its essence, which you guys understand because all musky fishermen only understand that. But I get it. Yeah, it's that is the beauty of it. Or everybody would do it if you caught them. You found the bait, you found the muskies, but they're only going to bite once a day or maybe once every four days. So good luck. Better find an active school of fish. You know, the neat thing about Matt is that, uh, <laughs> you know, I think you touched on this a couple of weeks ago, Jeff. When we have a, a musky angler that's been on here in the past with tons of, tons of experience. I mean, Matt brings that to the table, right? So basically, it just makes our job way easier they just kind of take over the whole podcast. Matt certainly did that tonight, twice, and that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I mean, it's twice, twice in one night. It's, it's impressive. Yeah, it's, 
sorry. I could keep going for hours. But yeah. you guys need to ask me more questions about stories or something so people can laugh. And I can tell them crazy stories about certain stuff. Well, maybe we'll have to do some story ones at some point. We this. should do it. We should do a story hour with Matt, and I could think of a few other guys. We should do a story hour with three guys. That's going to be the new podcast. It's going to be a little bit more on the wild side, but we need to do one of those. 150th. Let's do it. 150th episode? 150th is going to be the comic episode. All right. Mark that down, Brad. Don't don't forget. I'm serious. Yeah. So we're going to get around the campfire. We're going to get five of some of the five amazing guys. And we're going to tell some musky fishermen or musky stories. That's a good idea. Yeah. We're going to say, what's your worst fishing experience? What's your best fishing experience? Biggest fish, smallest fish. We'll do, we'll do it. It'll be fun. Everyone will like it. The 150th episode. Let's do it. All right. I love it. Yeah. People will love that. Mark that down, Brad. We can't forget that. It might have to be a two part because it's going to be probably three hours long. (laughs) Yeah. I'm 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 not editing a three hour long podcast ever again. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we should do it. It'll be fun. Well, it's it's like this, Jeff. I mean, people always say, "Hey, I want to hear more stories about Matt Secrets fishing." Right? I yep. mean, we hear about it all the time. So let's make it happen. Let's do it. It'd be awesome. It would be fun. I like to tell stories, and you do, a, I, and you do a great job of doing it too. Well, maybe if I stretch it a little bit, then it's even more exciting. <laughs> I won't stretch the length of the fish, but I might might stretch people's expressions and how it happened a little bit. But sure. We'll, we'll make it good and fun. Sounds good. So, if anybody wanted to go fishing this year, I have some openings. And then all the way, I wanted to also shoot out uh, a, a guy I met, Bob Weeks, bought Agency Bay Lodge on uh, Leech Lake. And... He's doing a musky school this year, which I think will be pretty fun. He's got a bunch of uh, your guys' baits. He got in the resort there, some custom colors from Team Rhino, and a bunch of musky mayhem baits. Uh, but besides that, he's doing a um, musky school this year on Leech Lake, August 7th, I think, 6th or 7th for that week. And I actually think it's already booked for the year i think he might have three openings left of all the cabins there and he's got a big resort there it's a cool resort but i kind of took that week for him for guide trips so he's got me hired for two days but i have a few days open that week and i just wanted anybody to let him know if uh give agency bay a call he bought it he works for lundboats he's a great guy and uh he's doing a great job with the school so i think it'll be really fun there's some really good guys that are going to be there um, and we're, I think it'll be really fun. So I'll be guiding the first few days. I got a couple days at the end of the week open, but if anybody's interested in that walleye school, uh, give agency base on Lee to call and I think they're full, but if not, you can, you might be able to squeeze it in. But anyway, I just thought I'd give that a shout out because I had so much fun on Leech last year. I'm pretty excited about Leech Lake. It, it was really a fun lake to fish, and there's so many muskies in there, and it's a natural fishery, and the fish bite so hard. It's just a blast. So anybody who's interested in fishing leech this year, give me a shout-out or whatever. So, Brad, how do you like that? Not only did he take over the entire show, he takes over the outro as well. I don't even need to ask him how to get in touch with him, whether or not he wants to book some trips, nothing. He's 
you know, doing some promos <laughs> for some schools. <laughs> Matt, you might as well just thank the listeners for coming out and listening, and then I'll walk out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just... I had to do a shout out. Bob's been great. <laughs> he ordered a bunch of baits from you and then he ordered a bunch of baits from Brad. And yeah, he's been a good guy. And anyway, I decided to throw that out. But if anybody wants to get a hold of me, I do have openings this year. Um, and my cell is 651-357-8709 or Matt Seaford on Facebook or Muskie Mercenary Geysers on Instagram. Yeah, give me a shout out. Uh, I'll try to set my voicemail up if I don't answer a text. Yeah, text is the way to get a hold of Matt. He's no different than I am. I don't have my, I don't have a voicemail. Uh, Matt just kind of follows that whole <laughs> scenario, if you will. Um, voicemails are bad. <laughs> text, just text us, and we'll go from there. Well, I guess. With that being said, I think that's pretty much everything we got going on for this episode. Matt, we want to thank you for spending, I don't know how long, a lot of time tonight. Normally I say an hour, but this is have to be at least three. So, um, Oh, no worries. It only seemed like an hour. That's good. I'm, I mean, I'm glad it wasn't too bad. It's only it's only one or two in the morning on a Saturday, so that's not too bad. We could keep going for a little while longer. No, that's good. I got to get some sleep. I got to rig <laughs> Dick Pearson's boat tomorrow, and I'm a little bit nervous about it, so I got to get some sleep. Yeah, you do. Anyways, Matt, thanks a lot for coming out. We really appreciate it. Hey, Brad, thanks for um, you know filling in the couple of gaps that Matt left you while I took a little nap over here. Appreciate that, and <laughs> we'll catch everybody next week. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. You guys are always great. Send any messages or feedback or questions, you guys. I'll tell you what, Jeff. It's always fun when we get Matt Seifert on the phone. That's that's. There's no doubt about it. I'm looking forward to when he's coming back in June. I agree. Yeah, let's do it. End of June, I'll be back on. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you.